Blog Talk Radio. Hi, and welcome to The Art of Film Funding. I'm your co-host, Claire Papan, along with Carol Dean, author of the best-selling book, The Art of Film Funding. Carol is also the founder and president of From the Heart Productions and the host of this show. Today we are joined by our guest host, filmmaker Heather Lenz. She's a filmmaker best known for Kusama Infinity, a feature-length documentary about artist Yayoi Kusama that premiered at the Sundance Film Festival and received international distribution. This week, we'll discuss tips for character-driven documentaries and use The Love Bugs as a case study. The Love Bugs was a centerpiece of POV Shorts program last year. It won 14 film festival awards, was uh, shortlisted for a 2019 International Documentary Association Award, and is touring globally with the American Film Showcase. From the Heart Productions supported it with a Roy Roy W. Dean film grant. Our guests include the filmmakers Allison Otto and Mariah Clinton, who co-directed, produced, and shot the movie. Happy to have each of you join us, and Heather, thanks for hosting today. Oh, thank you, Claire, for the lovely introduction, and thank you, Allison and Mariah, for being here. I'm super excited about having the opportunity to discuss your film. Uh, I must say I've seen it three times, and I think it's just amazing. (laughs) I loved it each and every time. Um, So I guess with that being said, oh, you're welcome. Let's dive in. Um, Mariah, let's start with you. Could you tell us a little bit what is the film um, about for anyone who hasn't seen it? Sure. So the film is about two entomologists, a Charlie and Lois O'Brien, and it focuses on their massive collection of a million and a quarter specimens. Um, they have a world-renowned collection of insects, and it's one of the largest private collections in the world. And the wonderful thing about this entomological pair uh, couple is that they decided to donate their collection to Arizona State University. So the film is on that, in addition to Charlie's battle with Parkinson's disease and some other touching information that you find out about their love story as a married couple and also their their travels um, to more than 67 countries. Yeah, their collection, I must say, it's just amazing. Some of these insects, they they actually look like they're um, embedded with, like, um, gemstones. They're just really dazzling, you know, just so amazing. And, um, yeah, it's just so neat to learn about this couple that have this love story, both with insects and with each other. So, um, Allison, could you um, tell us, how did you first hear about this couple? Um, well, they made international headlines in 2017 when they went public with their collection. And um, at the time, I'd been filming uh, some stories for National Geographic um, and filming insects uh, in particular. And 
And I just, uh, I was fascinated by their love story and then also fascinated by my other favorite subject of insects. And so I reached out to um, Arizona State, which is where they um, were planning to donate their collection. And they put me in touch with Charlie and, and Lois. And I think for me, one of the most important aspects of the story was how it, uh, it was very character driven. And that's also what piqued my interest about it was just their love story and um, their quirky characters in quietly, you know, quietly amassing this world's largest private collection over the course of all these years and then having to make this really difficult decision about what to do with the collection. Yeah, it's really astonishing um, to just find out how many insects they have um, and also um, the value of the collection and that, um, you know, just its value to to the um, scientific community. So, yeah, great topic. Um, so I would love to hear a little bit about the first time you met them. Mariah, could we start with you and, and your story of meeting them? Sure. I was very much anticipating um, meeting them. And I remember when we got to the front door being very nervous, but uh, Lois and Charlie were always so welcoming and they brought us into their space. They showed us their collections right away. Um, they each have collections that were parallel across the hall from each other. And uh, they just started pulling out cases of all that they had collected, amassed, um, received from other people as well. And I, I, it was just an incredible experience. Really, I was in awe. Um, and I was probably the most in awe about the fact that when you were around them, they were just Lois and Charlie. Uh, even though they were huge figures and uh, still are in the entomological community, when you're around them, their humility always precedes them. So definitely nerves going in, um, but they just made it a very comfortable experience, and they were just very welcoming. Yeah, I think it comes through in the film just how warm their personalities are. They seem very down-to-earth, despite, as you say, having oh, this just extraordinary collection. And um, mm -hmm. Alice, Allison, how did they react when you told them you wanted to make a movie about them? Um, you know, initially they were a little reticent, um, about, reluctant about it. Um, so it took uh, several conversations with them over the phone. And, um, and then, you know, through the course of filming, which took place over 18 months, at first they didn't really understand why, um, why we continue to, to come back. And because they, you know, they thought, oh, we'll just, they'll just film us once. And, and and that'll be it. And, um, so I don't think they actually fully, you know, I'd explained it to them and everything, but I don't think they understood fully the scope of it until they saw a rough cut of the film. Interesting. And and what what was their reaction when they did see the rough cut? Oh goodness! So <laughs> um, the editor and I had flown to um, we flew to Arizona with a cut, you know, of the film and. We wanted to show it to them in person, and we were both, the editor and I were really nervous about it, and we sat them down in this conference room at Arizona State, and I gave them each a, a piece of paper to write their thoughts down, and, and then I explained before, the, before we started the film, like, oh, I think we're going to call it the love bugs, 
Charlie and Lois's reaction was, you can't call it that. You know, love bugs are a pest species. They, you know, they bug everybody. Oh. <laughs> and, and I was so thinking to myself, oh, oh, God, this is not off to a good start. <laughs> and um, then so their protege who's in the room, he's Sam in the film, Nico Franz, he, he had to explain to them, look, this is, you know, love bugs is an idiom for two people who are so um, connected to each other that they're almost, you know, that they're inseparable, just like a, a love bug in real life is with its mate. But uh, before we started the film, Charlie wrote down the title on his sheet of paper, and then he underlined it, and then he wrote the words, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and and I saw him do that out of the corner of my eye, and I was just like, oh, gosh, this is just no, this is not, this is going even worse than I thought. But then we started the film and they, you know, they started laughing at the appropriate, you know, the, the points in the film. And, and by the end, you know, Lois said, one of the, the first things she said was, I understand now why you called it the love pugs. And, and they were just so pleased with it and so surprised. And they didn't have any criticisms of it. Um, they just loved it. And so for me, that was really gratifying after all that work and all that time spent filming them that they that they really resonated with the finished film oh I'm so happy to hear that because I was going to say I do understand their point about the title but I personally feel like you get an A plus on both your title and your log line. They're just so they're just so great. And so, um, Mariah, you. could you could you tell us the log line for the film and and um, uh, we could talk about that a little bit. Sure. So I actually am going to pass that question off to Allison. Um, okay. It's it primarily because she is the one that is responsible for uh, that that wonderful word. But I can definitely say the log line. Um, but, yeah, I definitely think she should get credit for, for it uh, because she helped to come up with the love of nature and the nature of love. But anyway, this humorous and poignant documentary explores the love of nature and the nature of love and what it means to completely devote oneself to both. So I'll pass it off to you now, Allison. Yeah, I mean, we um, just wanted to, we've been searching around for a way to sum it up in one sentence, and and um, we wanted something concise, but that got to kind of the heart of the story. Because it's a multifaceted love story. It is about their mutual love for nature, but then also about their, for each other. And so, um, you know, when we're, when we make the log line really short, we make it into just a celebration of the nature of the love of nature and the nature of love. Um, and yeah, log lines are so, so tough and you really want to, you know, I feel like we really kind of happened upon this um, con- very concise way of, of illustrating or explaining what the film is, is about. Yeah, you did a great job. I think people who are not in the film business, they have no idea how much time people spend trying to figure out how to summarize their movie in just one sentence. It can be very challenging. So you did a great job. Um, 
So um, I would love to know what tips you would offer to someone like, you know, a new filmmaker who wants to make a character-driven film. So, um, Mm -hmm. Mariah, could we start with you on this? Sure, sure. I think that one of the things that I always like to think about when beginning any story, and I know that that was paramount for Allison and I, is just building trust with the people that you're going to tell the story on. I think that's so important because you're asking people to open their lives to you and to open their personal stories to you. So if there isn't that foundation of trust there that they know that they can um, have boundaries on what to tell and knowing what not to tell, right, and really understanding them as a human bearing, bearing their personal life to the world, that can be the basis for just an open dialogue. And then I think after that, just really looking at who your character is and what your story arc is, what is the story that you're trying to tell, and what do you think the audience needs to know in order to fully give a portrait and a picture of this person. That's something that we had to do a lot with the love bugs is balance okay, this is a story about science, but this is also a story about a relationship, and that relationship has layers. It's not just one note, and it's diversified, right? And it also spans a lot of years. So how can we tell a story that's holistic and even in many ways relatable, but at the same time unique to this particular person? So I would just sum it up by saying, who is this person? What story am I trying to tell? What questions are worth discovering um, and asking? Uh, pace yourself, right? You may not want to ask something very personal right away. You would want to build that relationship. Um, but really think about what is what is this question going to lead to? And always think about asking questions that are not going to, to result in one-word answers. Ask something that has depth um, or can can open the door for someone else, and I never forgot it. Um, it was just basically when someone, when you're doing an interview or you're setting up your questions beforehand and you ask a question, if someone doesn't say anything in their silence, that's fine. You, you know, just don't, don't try to add into it just yet. And Oftentimes, it's been my experience that if there's a pause, um, the person ends up saying something that is more poignant than I had developed in that question. Um, but because they're reflecting on it, it, it's it's more relevant to the story. So those are those are some of the tips that I've learned, and I'm sure there are a lot more out there as well. Well, that's a very well said. Um, Allison, if you want to add to that, you can. Um, or if um, you, I mean, it's sort of related. I was also wondering how much time you spent with your subjects when you weren't filming, um, or did you mostly just spend time with them when you were filming? Well, because they lived in Arizona, we only really, up until the time that I showed them the rough cut, we only really spent time with them when we were filming, but that was still a pretty um, uh, large amount of time because it was seven filming trips over the course of 18 months. Um, and 
Mariah was on two of those, and then I was on all seven because of, you know, I was closer to um, Arizona living in Colorado at the time. So um, it was just, yeah, it was a lot of time spent getting to know them and things that they were reluctant to talk about in the very first interview um, were things that over time, because I was there so much and just pretty much um, filming them alone a lot throughout the course of their, you know, their day, um, that they started to become more comfortable talking about things like um, death and inability to have children. Um, And those, you know, that was something that spent a lot of time developing and, and, and getting them to, to feel comfortable with. Well, you did a great job. And, and during the, um, you mentioned that you were closer. And Mariah, where were you living at the time? So I'm based in New York, and I, was, I also teach as well. I'm a uh, part-time uh, adjunct, I guess, part-time teacher uh, at a college. So I wasn't able to make all the trips out there during my my course time um but yeah i was based in new york so i was really grateful to be able to come down and the the times i was able to and then allison um was able as she said to to make the bulk of the trip yeah that's great and and by the way how did the two of you meet and how long did you know each (laughs) other before you started making this movie (laughs) do you want me to answer that allison and I met at graduate school, and we had the same advisor. Um, we were the inaugural class, and we were both paired with the same person. And we started talking, or the same advisor, and we started talking um, just about project-related stuff. Allison was always very, very helpful in that way. And I happened to be uh, working on a a documentary short and I needed to film out in Nashville and she had um, offered to come along so then we just started working from there and it had always been a desire once we had the Nashville trip to co-direct a project together Um, so it just took some time I went back and forth to Denver a couple times um, just pursuing different stories and then she found this story and the NPR article and it was a go from there so it I don't know we met back in what 2013 yeah October of 2013 and then it was just a progression of time that led us to to this film that's great and um Allison, you mentioned um, how much you love insects earlier in the interview. So, um, do you do you have any favorites um, that appear in the in the film, or I guess even not in the film? Yeah, I mean the the giraffe necked weevil is one of my favorites um, from Madagascar. It appears very early in the film. Only, uh, well, so it appears a couple times. It's it's the very first insect that crawls across the screen as an illustration. Um, but then in Charlie and Lois's interview, if you look in the background, <laughs> it's making like a secret little cameo. They've, um, they had taped a picture of it to one of their um, uh, drawers of insects. So you see it in the background if you look very closely. Um, but I just, I love that particular weevil. 
Yeah, it's me. And you, you um, brought up the um, the animation, so maybe we could just talk a little bit about that. It appears in the title sequence and other places mm-hmm. in the movie. And how did you, you know, I, I know using animation and documentaries these days, it's become popular, but, you know, it's like you have to go from having this vision in your mind and um, somehow conveying it to the artists and having them do it. So could you talk a little bit about that process? Well, we worked with uh, an illustrator who was a friend of mine in Colorado. Um, she's a fellow filmmaker. And we really, um, from the start, we Mariah and I did a lot of brainstorming about kind of what we wanted these um, illustrations to look like and what we wanted the animations to convey. And one of the primary reasons or things that we wanted to accomplish with the animations was to really bring Charlie's stories of his uh, past adventures uh, to life um, in a in a creative way, and then also we wanted to kind of um, convey some of the attributes of these insects in a in a fun and playful way, rather than mm-hmm. rather than only having someone point them out on camera. Um, and then when we were thinking about the aesthetic, we really wanted it to to tap into. Um, the feel of Charlie's old field journals um, and in what an entomological field journal would, would look like. And so we started to, to play with that a bit um, when we approached Jenny Nichols, the illustrator, with that concept. And then when we uh, took that to um, the animation team, uh, Mass FX Media, uh, with Shauna Schultz and her husband, that was, they're also based in Colorado, that's when they started to take that concept and build upon it um, by creating uh, basically what they called a story world um, with rules. It has, has different rules for how the illustrations move, and um, but they were creating layers using field journals and using scraps of paper and um, to really make it, to bring it alive. Yeah, they did a great job. And I want to um, back up. Uh, Mariah, I didn't give you the chance to tell us what your favorite insect is, if you have one. Problem. Um, for no worries, I love the clown weevils. I I really like the the way that they look and the polka dots that they can have. So that's my favorite insect. Yeah, they're very eye-catching. And um, Allison, could you tell us a little bit about the drone shot? Is that something, I know both of you shot the film. Did um, one of you film that, or did you need to hire a specialist? I filmed that. Um, I have a, oh, at the time, I have to renew it, but I had a, um, a drone, professional drone uh, pilot's license, and um, I have my own drone, and um that was one of those shots there, though, where you really only get one chance with it because <laughs> they were, yeah. you know, packing up the, the collection and they were driving away with it. And so that, from that perspective, it was a little bit nerve-wracking. Um, but, again, yeah, that was just that was something I, I filmed. Yeah, you did a great job. And, and um, for anyone that doesn't know who hasn't seen it, it's a, it's a shot after they've packed up the collection, as you said, and um, this big van drives off with it. And um, you see the neighborhood and you see the mountains in the distance. It's very, it's a, it's a great shot. 
Um, so this film ended up playing on PBS, and I know they have different programs where they support films, very competitive, that everyone applies for. And um, Maria, I was just wondering, could you tell us, did they support this film in it, um, you know, while you were making it, or how did it, um, how did the relationship with PBS develop? Sure. So um, we, I think, well, I don't think, initially uh, getting a POV selection was a wonderful thing that Allison and I had discussed. Um, actually acquired the film for POV short season three. We weren't financially backed by them um, or we weren't a part of any of their funding initiatives, but it was really, um, I would say, one thing kind of led to another progression again. Um, Allison had met uh, one of met with one of their shorts programmers. We had also had another person from PBS that um, we had met at a film festival, and it was just kind of in in, in touring with the festival um, that the film got the exposure and that led us to PBS but it was just a really wonderful experience and um, PBS actually won a short form series uh, for 2020 at the IDA Awards uh, best short form series uh, so that was a huge congratulations to them and their hard work Opal Bennett as well as the other films uh, a part of of that that season. Yeah, that's exciting. And um, Allison, could you talk a little bit about the process of raising money for the film and how long it took and, you know, the steps involved? Gosh, <laughs> it was, uh, at first, everything was out of pocket, um, you know, through our personal funds. Um, and then we were really, we, we were really, really fortunate to uh, get a Telluride Mountain Film Commitment Grant, um, which helped us, you know, each little bit kind of helped take us to the next little bit. Um, and then we were really also, of course, really excited and thrilled to get the Roy W. Dean Grant. Um, and that kind of, both of those grants sort of helped us to take the next step with the film. But it was almost, aside from those, uh, grants. It was out of pocket until the very end um, when we were able to bring on, you know, an executive producer who helped us, uh, Karen Capitosto, who's wonderful, who helped us get the, um, do outreach to uh, private donors and, and helped us get the, the finishing funds that put, pushed it all over the edge. I'm so glad you did get the support to make it. I think one thing that's so great about this film, um, on the one hand, it's um, it's really like a feel-good film, you know, and a lot of documentaries um, cover tough topics, and sometimes mm -hmm. they can be, um, you know, a little, they can make you feel a little discouraged. And, and this film does cover some, some challenging things like, um, you know, uh, they talk about how Charlie talks about how the forests are disappearing and with them, the habitat for insects. And I think it's such an important thing because um, I think there's a lot more awareness about um, other animals like elephants and things like that. Um, 
potentially going extinct, but not as many people are talking about this, and yet it's such an important um, issue. But at the same time, like I said, the film um, really, it's just very uplifting. They're just such um, great characters. And so, again, just congratulations on doing such a great job and picking such great characters. And and so I just wanted to talk a little bit about what you're both um, working on now, um, Mariah, would you like to talk about what what you're up to these days? I know you're busy teaching. Are you making another film right now? Yeah, so I'm in the beginning production, pre-production, really pre-production stages of working on a, a – it's a mix between a narrative experimental and documentary piece, and um, it's set in Spanish Harlem. So I'm really excited to do something that's based in New York. Uh, um, and it's it's basically a story about self-discovery, self-expression, and a person finding themselves in the midst of everything that's going on in context of the world and in context of what's nationally occurring. Um, and I'm also really excited and uh, getting ready to launch a podcast uh i am working with a co-creator and we're launching a podcast and it's focusing on women that are really making a difference um women that are in uh, environmentalism uh, working in climate change really in all sectors that are both known and may not be known on a wide uh, scale um, but are affecting change either on the local level national level or even the international level. So we're really excited um, to launch this and to, to really provide a platform to celebrate women. And as soon as I can share more about um, the launching and the, the date, it, we're anticipating for early summer. Oh, well, that sounds great. Great topic. And um, Allison, could you talk a little bit about what you're up to these days? Yeah, um, I'm working on my first uh, feature-length documentary, and it's a really wacky story. It's um, it's about these two. Um, so in 1985, there was this theft of a Willem de Kooning painting, um, one of his uh, one of his paintings from his most seminal series, the Women series, which uh, kind of upended the art world at the time in the 1950s. But this small museum in Arizona had uh, one of his paintings, and it was their prized possession. And the day after Thanksgiving, a man and woman entered the museum. Uh, the woman kind of distracted the guard by asking questions. Um, the man went upstairs, came down 10 minutes later, and he'd rolled the painting up in his jacket, slight, you know, sliced it out of its frame, rolled it up, and walked off into the desert with it. And it was missing for 32 years, I believe it was. And then in 2017, a widow dies in a very, very small town in New Mexico. Her nephew goes to clean out her house, and hidden behind her bedroom door um, was this painting, Woman Ochre. And it turns out she and her husband look are dead ringers for the original police sketch. Um, but they were these two retired school teachers, very mild-mannered. Um, nobody could have ever suspected them of doing this, of stealing this painting. And then 
hiding it in a, you know, in a tacky frame in their bedroom. And so the story kind of unravels the mystery of what in the world happened um, and, and also kind of follows the journey of this painting as it's undergoing this, um, you know, top high-tech restoration at the Getty Museum. Um, but again, it's another film that's one of those character studies of two um, of a couple, <laughs> and and it's again one of those things where I've, I'm often fascinated by stories about obsession or um, people who have collections. And in this case, these are two very dysfunctional uh, collectors of it. And um, it's just been this fascinating deep dive into into crime and into the art world and into how far someone would go for something they, they obsess over that they love. Um, and yeah, we're finishing up production and we are um, planning to, to, to debut it next year. Oh, that's so great. I'm so happy to hear that, um, that you are already, um, so far along on your next project and I read a little bit about it. So I saw that some of the other filmmakers you're working with were involved with the devil we know and won't you be my neighbor, which are both amazing films. So I'm glad you're getting to work with such great people. Um, is there anything else you would like to um, tell the audience that I haven't asked you about already? Well, I did just get um, an email from Nico Franz, um, with an update on what the status of the collection is and what they've been doing. And he said that Lois has been coming into the collection uh, for six to seven hours on end every other Thursday um, to still continue to work with the collection and that they're still uh, digitizing it um, and sorting and reorganizing it um, and that they get a lot of requests from people to work with the collection. So that's what, uh, what they're doing with it now. And um, it's just, it's been a game changer for their university and also for entomology as a whole um, to be able to, to have access to these specimens and it's got, you know, more than a thousand undiscovered specimens in the collection. So it's really been beneficial for entomologists around the world. So that's amazing. That's great. And um, I think that pretty much wraps up our show. But um, if, um, if if you guys would like to share your social media handles, your websites, anything like that, feel free. So uh, I guess, uh, Mariah, would you like to share any of those things? Sure. So you can find me on social media. I tend to go by my middle name a lot. Um, but you can find me at uh, M-E underscore, and it's spelled like Maria, so um, Maria Elizabeth, M-A-R-I-A, and then Elizabeth uh, on Instagram. And I didn't, I didn't get to mention the co-creator of the podcast. I, I think it would be fair to do that. Um, it's Kimberly Mallory. And, yeah, we uh, – I'm just really excited about being able to take part in this. And thank you so much, Heather, for, for taking the time to, to do this with us. Oh, well, thank you for being, uh, you know, here and taking time out of your schedule. Like I said, I really, really love the film. So I'm glad it's been so successful. And then, um, Allison, would you like to share your um, 
social or any, you know, website, whatever, <laughs> anything you want to share? <laughs> um, my Instagram is just Allison Otto, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-O-T-T-O, and my website is AllisonAuto.com. So, um, All yeah, right. that's, yeah, it's pretty straightforward. And I guess, Mariah, maybe I missed asking you on your website. Did you want to share that as a final thing? Oh, sure. We go? Um, you can find Sure, you can find me at um, Mariah, spelled like Maria, Clinton, uh, dot com. All right. Well, super. Thank you. Thank you for being here. And um, thank you, Claire, for hosting and handling all the technical side of this. And yeah. uh, that's it for this week. So thanks, everybody. Thank you. This was, all right. this thank was you. really fun. Thank you. Right, thanks. Bye. You're Glad to have each of you. Thank you so much. Be well, everyone. Thank you so much. Now, in its second edition, Carol Dean's popular book, The Art of Film Funding, has 12 new chapters to cover all areas of film financing and how to avoid expensive pitfalls. Learn how to start with an idea and end with a trailer. How to make an ask for money. Create your story structure and your trailer. Legal advice. Fair use successful crowdfunding, how to ask for music rights, and what insurance you can't shoot without. Available on Amazon under Carol Dean and at FromTheHeartProductions.com. I want to remind our listeners that David Raiklin is a brilliant and talented award-winning musician who scores films and can compose music for a trio or for a full orchestra. David is a very good friend to the independent filmmaker and comes highly recommended by From the Heart Productions. If you need music to help tell your story, please contact him at davidraiklin.com. That's David, R-A-I-K-L-E-N dot com. And Carol and I want to thank you for tuning in to The Art of Film Funding. Please visit our website at fromtheheartproductions.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Good luck with your films, everyone.